Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. Church planters care about the gospel going to new and difficult to reach places. They long to see the light of Christ penetrate the darkest parts of the world, whether that be just down the road or far away in some remote place among the unreached. In order to see this happen effectively, church planters need to consider something we call entrepreneurial aptitude. Here's what we mean by that. Entrepreneurial aptitude is the ability to imagine new ways of engaging cultures so that the unchanging truths of the gospel can be brought to bear on the lives of unbelievers. People who have entrepreneurial skills will often be great at starting new endeavors and will be highly innovative. They tend to be strategic visionaries and self-starters. Further, people who are entrepreneurial are able to enlist others to invest in new ventures that they start. But what does this look like? It's a less straightforward topic than some of the recent things we've discussed on the podcast, So it's worth us unpacking what we mean and don't mean when we say church planters need entrepreneurial aptitude. To help us think about this, I'm excited to have my friend Brian Howard with me on the podcast today. Brian is the vice president of U.S. Networks for Acts 29. He also serves as the network director for the Acts 29 U.S. West Network. Brian has over 20 years of proven leadership experience as a leadership coach, nonprofit executive, church planter, lead pastor, and business owner. Brian holds a master's degree from Talbot School of Theology, has been married for 21 years to the love of his life, and has four children. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here with you, Tony. Uh, Glad to be on the podcast today. And uh, Brian is... uh, uh, it's been a great blessing to uh, me and many other guys in Acts 29. It's been a great joy to get to know him over the last uh, few years. Uh, we share a lot of uh, the same loves we've uh, discovered. On one conference call, we both had a New Orleans uh, Pelicans shirt on, yep. uh, to our surprise, right? Yep, that's right. Love the Pelicans. I'm a little bit disappointed by the uh, departure of AD, but uh, I, are you a Lakers fan, being no, out on the West Coast? I'm not really a Lakers fan. Believe it or not, I'm a Pelicans fan, and the main reason I'm a Pelicans fan is one of my good friends is one of the coaches there, so I've, I've been following them for several years now. Yeah, well, they do. We do, they do have a good incoming group, so uh, we'll we'll see how they do, man. I know several of our buddies out on the West Coast are pumped about the uh, Lakers right now. Here we go. It's going to be a fun season. <laughs> hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where did you grow up? How did you come to faith? Yeah, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. So my my uh, family was from Los Angeles, but my dad was in ministry. So we ended up when I was twelve years old in Tucson, Arizona, <clears throat> which is a town in southern Arizona, down near the border, about 600,000 people. Grew up in a really strong Christian home. Parents are still married. They've been married for 52 years now. And my dad was a pastor for 40 years. Very, very faithful man of God. During my teenage years, I strayed a bit, uh, wandered around like like uh, perhaps others have done as well, and tried some things out, and and um, you know essentially realized by the time I was about eighteen years old, what this world had to offer was not what I was interested in, and I, I you know I'm pretty convinced that I became a Christian when I was a young child, but when I was eighteen years old, I joined the military. Went to University of Arizona for a while and then joined the military. Met a guy in boot camp 
who I've never seen again, who doesn't know I'm a Christian to this day. In fact, I have friends who have tried to track him down and that God really used that guy to point me back to him. And so during that boot camp experience, getting ready to getting ready to join the military, I came back to Christ and uh, haven't, uh, you know, haven't looked back since I was 18 years old. That was just three or four years ago now, I think. So, so walk us, yeah, yeah. Walk us from uh, that point, uh, eighteen years old, up to today. Well, okay. So, did a stint in the military. When I got out of out of my boot camp experience, I was a reservist, and I knew I wanted to go to a Christian college because I needed to be around Christians. So, I went to the Master's College. I didn't know at that point really who John MacArthur was. I just wanted to go to a Christian college, and and our family was from Los Angeles, and so. Ended up at Master's College, spent four years there, grew like crazy, had a strange stint in the middle of that where I got called to go to Desert Storm with the Marine Corps. So I went to Desert Storm for nine months in the middle of my college experience. I'm a disabled veteran now. It's a whole another story, I guess, probably for another time. But, um, but when I came back from Desert Storm, graduated from college, went straight into youth ministry after college. Did several years in youth ministry, went to seminary along the way at Talbot Seminary, had a great experience there, all the way up to being 48 years old now, where I've spent essentially 27 years, I guess, in ministry as a youth pastor, as an executive pastor of a couple very large churches. I planted a church that grew to be a large church in the Los Angeles area and pastored that church for many years and uh, find myself all the way up today where I lead the U.S. for Acts 29. I'm the U.S. Vice President for Acts 29 and Acts 29 Chairman of the Board. I've also spent the last, you know, essentially 10 years focusing on coaching and training church planners. And so that's been a big part of my last 10 years. Hmm. Now, at what point did you meet your better half? Met my wife the first day at Master's College. And she wasn't my wife yet. Took a lot of convincing. And I mean a lot of convincing. So We were really good friends that first year of college, started dating the second year of college, dated all the way through, and then got married in 1994. That's been a day or two, but we're celebrating our 25th anniversary is this coming Thursday. So Mm. we've been together a long time. Wow. Well, we've been doing this series on uh, the Acts 29 competencies, the, the kinds of things we look for uh, in church planters. And uh, when uh, my colleague Bennett and I were planning this series, uh, when we got to this subject, entrepreneurial aptitude, I said, we need Brian Howard. It was, it was a no-brainer. There's no one better to talk about this uh, in my mind than you. And so let's jump right in. Um, it's probably helpful for us to start by outlining what we mean when we say entrepreneurial aptitude. So uh, help us out. What, what do we mean by this? Well, let's, let's start by talking about what entrepreneurial aptitude is not. So in the world of church planning, we want to assess whether or not a church planter has any entrepreneurial aptitude. So let's, let's just start with some things that, that entrepreneurial aptitude is not. First of all, to be a church planner, it doesn't mean that you have to have started and led 12 different businesses. You don't have to look back, you know, from the time you were three years old and you started a lemonade stand that made $30 million. That'd be a really good lemonade stand, but it doesn't mean that you have to have started lots of businesses. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have invented something. I was thinking about like an Elon Musk or somebody like that and have made a million dollars from that. That's not what entrepreneurial aptitude 
necessarily it means. It also doesn't mean that you have tons and tons of business experience or that you're a business person. That could really intimidate a guy who's who uh, who's gone to seminary, who believes that they're called to ministry, who loves theology, who loves preaching. That's great for a church planner. So it doesn't mean that you have to be a straight business person. It, all, it also doesn't mean that you don't want to be a pastor or you know nothing about theology. So we don't mean when we say entrepreneurial aptitude that a guy has to just be a business leader with a straight business background. All right, mm-hmm. makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what what do we mean by it? Well, all right. So here's a few things that we I, I think we mean when we talk about entrepreneurial aptitude. And let's talk about it biblically speaking as well. All right, so entrepreneurial aptitude, this is the definition that I would give. It's It's the aptitude and gifting to start things that grow. All right. Now we could just say start things, but a lot of people can start things, but start things that actually grow and experience fruitfulness. All right. So let's talk about where we see this biblically. All right. A couple things here in terms of how we see entrepreneurial aptitude biblically. First, we see that God gifts people differently. All right. So if we look at the New Testament, we see in Ephesians 4, we see that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So what jumps out to us from Ephesians chapter four is that is that God doesn't gift everybody the same way. He gifts different people differently to accomplish the things that he wants accomplished. We see in first Corinthians chapter four also that there are varieties of gifts. I think this is first Corinthians 12 verses in, in verses four through 11. We see that there are a variety of, of gifts but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and in all persons. So when Mm -hmm. we understand biblically entrepreneurial aptitude, we start with the fact that not everybody is gifted the same way. So Mm -hmm. some people are gifted to do things that others are not. Not that those gifts are better. They're just different gifts. All right, here's a second thing I think we see biblically. We see that church planning is about starting something where there is nothing. Hmm. All right, so when we see church planters or church planting in the Bible as, as practiced by guys like Paul and by Barnabas and Timothy and Silas, we see that church planting is an entrepreneurial act. So these guys in the New Testament that were starting churches, it took faith and it took vision and it took perseverance and it took it took a, a willingness and belief that you needed to stand strong in the face of opposition. So we we see, I mean, this would be descriptive more than prescriptive, you know, but we, we definitely see guys in the New Testament who showed entrepreneurial aptitude in church planning. So what we mean by entrepreneurial aptitude then is is gifting by God, and that would involve desire and affirmation. I love. I think Tim Keller talks about desire and affirmation and opportunity in terms of the call. It means that I'm called and gifted by God to start things that grow. All right. Mm-hmm. So biblically speaking, I think we can clearly see that. And in Acts 29, we really see that as important to the planting of new churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Uh, you've touched on this a little bit, but my next question was going to be, how does this, uh, this skill, this aptitude manifest itself uh, in a church planter? You mentioned some of those, those biblical examples, but maybe even uh, today, what, what, does that, what does that look like in the, in the life of an Acts 29 pastor? Perhaps you have uh, a few in mind even. Well, this is where we get practical here, and we can just look at, you know, if we're talking to church planters, how is this manifested? All right. So the first thing I would say is this. Past performance is the best indicator of future performance. Now, we're not talking about the stock market here because maybe that's not true. But but if I want to look at how a person is gifted and how, how God has wired them, perhaps, you know, I would say past performance is the best indicator of future performance. So the way entrepreneurial aptitude is going to manifest itself in the life of a church planner is that normally he shows a track record of starting things and and hopefully seeing those things grow as well. So I think Mm -hmm. about my own experience. So I planted a church at 31 years old, uh, you know, 17 years ago now, I guess almost 18 years ago. And I'd been a pastor since I was 23 years old. I was a youth pastor in a in a large church, a big mega church in Texas. And then I then I became a you know I, I became a youth pastor at a little small church where we had no kids. So the church hired me to be a youth pastor to build a youth ministry. On the first night, we had three kids, and those <laughs> kids literally cussed as much as they could. <laughs> to, to see if they could run us off and scare us. And we, we later found out that those kids' mom, it was two, a brother and a sister and a friend, had paid them to come so that we wouldn't be discouraged. <laughs> so that, that was us starting a youth ministry in my 20s. And that youth ministry grew over the course of several years to be over 100 kids. Uh, we, saw, we saw dozens of kids become Christians in that youth ministry. Now, God did amazing work. That wasn't because of our... That wasn't necessarily because we were just doing all the right things. We had a team of people with us. We were spending time with kids. We were sharing the gospel. We were taking taking unsaved kids to church camp in the summertime. They were hearing the gospel. God, God used a lot of people to bring those kids into relationship with him. But fast forward a few years, when we began to think about planting a church, we looked back at our background and we could see Man, where we've been for eight or nine years now, we've been starting new things, my wife and I. We've been we've seen things grow. So I remember going to our lead pastor of our church and saying, man, I, I this was the year 2000, so 19 years ago now. I remember going to him. He was a mentor to me. Our church by this time was big, and our youth ministry was big, and I was in Southern California. And I said to the, the pastor, I really would like to plant a church. And I remember he said to me, I mean, this is almost a direct quote, he said, he said, Brian, I don't want to lose you, but if anybody is a church planner, you are that guy. So, you know, I, I had a I had a track record of planting or, or starting new things and seeing them grow. Now, when we look across Acts 29, I have a lot of experience in the last few years in Acts 29 West. I think of guys in like at Redeemer Burbank, like Harvey Turner, who planted Living Stones Reno. He's been in Acts 29 probably 15 years or so now, something like that. You look at guys like this, and they had a track record of starting things. Now, Harvey will tell you, Harvey Turner will tell you that he was a not a gospel entrepreneur before he planted a church, but he had experience of starting things. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, when we look at how does entrepreneurial aptitude manifest itself practically, we can normally look at guys that plant churches and look back and go, God has wired them and used them to start new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah, you made me think of Harvey. I, I, I've told people before that I think former drug dealers make great church planters. You know, that they, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but I'm glad you brought that out. He, he would say he was a criminal entrepreneur before he was a gospel entrepreneur. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they are. You know, they're streetwise. They're savvy. They know how to make things happen, and uh, it's great to see the you know God in His grace redeem. Uh, such individuals and uh, and and realign their uh, their passions uh, for gospel purposes. Um, let me ask you a related question to that. Um, so let's take a guy who does have history of starting things and uh, things that grow, and then he starts a church and it does grow. Um, and now let's say he's about seven eight years in and he's got a big church. He comes to this moment, because I, I can think of many people, including myself in this category, where you're like, what do we do now? Uh, should we go start another church? Um, do we, I heard Larry Osborne say one time that uh, leaders need to create newness uh, where they're at. Um, you know, perhaps you're not going to start another church, but you're thinking about a new ministry or a new initiative in your existing church. Uh, I'm sure you've come across this in your in your coaching. Do you find guys who I don't know seven to ten years into the church plant, or maybe a few more years, just kind of feel this? What do I do now? Um, and and how have you consulted them? Man, that is a that is a a good question, Tony. You know, I think uh, I have this theory, and it's not tested by PhD studies or anything like that. It's an anecdotal sort of theory. Just just. As I've looked over the course of what's happened in the last 30 years, I have this theory that before the era of Rick Warren, church planters saw themselves a bit more as missionary starters who would move on. So, for example, my wife's grandfather planted five or six churches, and her great-grandfather was a church planter and planted something like eight to ten churches. And their model was that they would go in, they would start a church, they would you know, they would spend three or four years there. They would raise up a leader and then they would leave that church and they would go do it again. And that was the plan from day one. They were missionary church planners. Now, my theory is, and I can't prove this, but my theory is that a guy like Rick Warren came along, what, in the 1980 or something like that? And he planted a church and he, you know, obviously he's one of the more successful church planners over the course of the last 40 years or so. It's a fairly large mm -hmm. church these days. And so, and he would... He, you know, he planted this church to be there for life. By the time, you know, say 2000 rolled around and Acts 29 is starting and guys like me are starting to plant, I think a lot of us went into plant believing we're going to, you know, I'm going to plant a church and I'm going to pastor this thing for life. And I don't know that we were necessarily trying to emulate a guy like Rick Warren. I'm just saying that had become a little bit more culturally ingrained. Now, yeah. Fast forward, say, 10 years to around 2010, you start to see guys like me and a lot of other guys that are friends of yours and mine in the Acts 29 world and in other tribes as well that got seven, eight, nine, 10 years in and realized God has wired me to start things. God has wired me to plant churches. Perhaps I'm not wired to spend 35, 40 years pastoring in the same place. Now, the bummer is, is that a lot of us, I don't think I did this, but a lot of guys I know 
said things like, man, I'm going to be your pastor for life. I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> so I think what we've seen in the last seven or eight, nine years now, since say 2010, is it's okay for a guy to plant the church and spend seven to 10 years there, raise up leaders, pass that church off, see that church faithfully shepherded going forward, and to say that God has wired me to start other things or to, you know, there are guys that are wired to revitalize churches that mm-hmm. I know guys that have done that three, four, five times. They go in, they spend seven, eight, nine years, and they want to do it again. Now, I definitely think you mentioned Larry, friend of, of both mine and yours. You know, I, I definitely think there is there are guys that are going to stay and pastor a church for 30 or 35 years that are entrepreneurial still and are going to mm-hmm. continually find ways, like you just suggested, Tony, to uh to, to start things within the context of their church and to start new ministries and to keep working on things. But there are going to be other guys who would who would say, hey, for me, the way God has wired me, I need to continually start. We see those guys end up moving on sometimes and starting another church or coaching church planners, those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. That is a great, mm-hmm. great point and a big thing that we need to be continually dialoguing about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to press in more on the on this this subject, but um, I, I feel like a lot of the literature, a lot of the conferences, uh, focus a lot on starting uh, a church, but we have very little, it seems to me, on what happens once you know, as the adage goes, the the, the dog finally catches up with a car, <laughs> yeah. and you've 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 planted a healthy church. Um, wh- what do we do in this next season? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about there, man. We focus so much on getting this thing off the ground and getting it self-sustaining and self-governing, that sort of thing that sometimes what do we do after five years? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So um, let's talk uh, entrepreneurial aptitude. Is this something you've mentioned that it is a gift? Um, Can it be cultivated? If so, what are some ways you would coach guys? Man, the million dollar question around entrepreneurial aptitude is are entrepreneurs born or made? You know, so um, this is a really often debated question. In fact, I subscribed a couple of years ago, maybe for two or three years, I subscribed to Entrepreneur Magazine because I'm curious to read about guys that are starting things and, and, and businesses that are starting. That's just a fascinating, when you're involved in the church planning world, it's interesting to read about that kind of stuff. And so Entrepreneur Magazine Sometime in the last two years, maybe it was a couple of years ago, devoted a whole issue just to this question. So, I mean, the title of the magazine was Are Entrepreneurs Born or Made? And you could you could read through the various articles, which I did, and there were some people that were saying entrepreneurs are more born and entrepreneurs are, are more made. So in thinking about this, here's what I would say, Tony. I would say it's a little bit of both and. All right, so th- this this is my take on this, and it's certainly not inspired, and I don't have a Bible verse for you here, but <laughs> but I but I would say, look, we can't discount the way that a person is wired and gifted by God. All right, so you know I have four kids; they're 20, 18, 16, and fourteen when we're recording this podcast, and my kids are wired really differently. You know, my fourteen-year-old is completely outgoing and life of the party, and She's she's organizing things, and then I've got a I've got two of my kids that are more introverted. They are not throwing the party. They enjoy being by themselves. I mean, and having four kids, I know you've got a few kids, Tony. You probably have seen just the differences in temperament in how God has wired 
each of our kids. So mm-hmm. we can't discount the way a, a person is wired and gifted by God. Some people love starting things and taking risks from the time that they're children, and some people are terrified by these things. Some people like to speak publicly, and some people, man, you put them in front of people and they are scared to death, right? So mm-hmm. I think, first of all, there's some bornness. That's probably not a good word, but there's some, there's some, there's some something to be said about a, entrepreneurs are born or, or a person with entrepreneurial aptitude or church planners, you know. But I would also say, like, I wouldn't just hide behind, man. I've just never been a person who liked to start things. You know, I can't start a church. I mean, we we see biblical examples where God calls people to do things. I mean, particularly examples in the Old Testament for sure, but where God calls people to do things that they didn't feel like they were wired for. Mm-hmm. And God says, hey, you're going to go to a new place and you're going to be the father of many nations and you're going to have a child when you're 100 years old, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So here's what I would say. I would also say that a person can learn to be entrepreneurial and that they can learn and commit to the kind of thinking that's necessary for church planning. So mm-hmm. I think what I would say, Tony, is I would say if a, if a person feels like they're, they're called to plant the church or really driven to plant the church, and they're looking back going, hey, was I the leader of the class in the sixth grade? Well, I wasn't. Maybe I shouldn't plant the church. I wouldn't say that. I, I would say more, um, does the person understand the kind of thinking and commitment that is necessary. I mean, you know, I, I wrote down uh, recently, I was thinking through, we've got some some micro skills that we've always assessed in Acts 29 in terms of like, is this person, does this person have these things uh, in terms of entrepreneurial aptitude? Have they demonstrated past successes and started new ventures? Do they Do they understand what strategy is about or being strategic? Are they energetic and enthusiastic about starting a new work do have they shown the ability to enlist other people like can they gather a team around them and have they done Mm -hmm. that in the past part of me Mm -hmm. starting that youth ministry was building a team of people around me that were good at things that i I wasn't good at do they have evidences Mm -hmm. of being a self-starter uh do they are they willing to work intensely for an extended period of time so what i would Mm -hmm. say is even if a person isn't necessarily a born starter do they understand that's the kind of work that they have to do to be a church planner? And are they willing to do that and excited to do that? So I, so, you know, going back to your question, I would say it's a little bit of both end. Is an is yeah. a church planner born or made? I would say it's I think it's probably silly to to just discount how God has wired us, probably not wise because God's wired us differently. But then also I wouldn't hide behind that either and say, "Well, you know, man, I I've never been the AASB president or the student body president, and I can't plan a church. I would say, no, are you committed to doing these kinds of things? Yeah, that's really good. We talk to our guys at uh, in, at Imago Day Church. Uh, we call these the intangibles of uh, church planting. You know, we get a lot of guys who love theology. They love to dig into ecclesiology, all of which is foundational, of course. But if a guy can't, uh, for example, you mentioned gather people. Um, if they're not people that they're, they're not the kind of person that people are are drawn to that the people want to follow, um, 
they need to begin to learn these things um, to, you know, so you've got sort of the strategy and organization of uh, an entrepreneur. You've got the work ethic, the self-starter. We also have these relational gifts, right, that that also we need to pay attention to. Um, so just exegeting and delivering uh, isn't all that's required to be uh, a church planter. That's right. And that's hard for some people to even believe. And um, But I think history bears it out. Um, now, what we also say, this gets my next question, uh, just one or two more. Um, if a guy isn't super gifted uh, with these skills, um, can he? Can it be made up? Can can these this deficiency be made up for with another elder with a team? Uh, how do you how do you encourage guys to think about uh, this issue in relation to team dynamics? Well, you know, honestly, Tony, I if a guy is not gifted in entrepreneurial aptitude, maybe just is not wired in that way, doesn't have a lot of interest in that way, can it be made up with the team? To be honest with you, I'm pretty skeptical about that. I'm not saying it's impossible. So mm-hmm. if if you've got a team of people that are planting a church together, for example, and sometimes teams plant churches, and that's I'm, I wouldn't necessarily be against that. I I, I tilt toward a you know a primary church planter model with a team around that guy, but I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be willing to die for that. So if you've got a team that's planting a church, and particularly in the Acts 29 world, we're planting churches in. I mean, all kinds of contexts across the globe. I think 51 countries now. In some contexts, team church planting is going to work a lot better. So maybe you've got a situation where you've got three or four different people on a church planting team, and one of those people is really entrepreneurial, and one of those people is re- really just, just loves counseling and care. I could see that. But if you're a lead planting pastor, and you're using that model, and you're going, well, I really want to do primarily, I want to spend all of my time doing counseling because I love counseling, but I got a guy on our team who works in the business world. He's really entrepreneurial. I'm, you know, I would hesitate to think that that would work. I think if you're going to be a plant, if you're, if you were a church planter and you're going to be a lead planter, it is, you're going to have a difficult time getting through an Acts 29 assessment if you don't show a background and a track record of, of, you know, these sorts of things of starting things and of gathering people, because you have got to gather people as a church planner. You've got to show a track record of being evangelistically focused to be a church planner. And and having another person on your team that's good at that, but not you and you're the lead planter, I'm at least skeptical about that, although I'm willing to argue about it too, I guess. So mm-hmm. no, I share your skepticism. <laughs> um, now you um, you mentioned last question. You mentioned uh, a magazine, other resources, books, websites, even your own. Uh, as guys want to grow in this area, perhaps uh, lead pastors are hearing this podcast and they they want to incorporate this in the, into their own training. Any any, any uh, place you would direct us? Man, that's a good question. You know, one of my favorite church planning books is called Church in the Making. Uh, it was written maybe 10 years or so ago. I'm not even sure it's in print, but I'm sure you can find it. Church in the Making, written by Ben Arment. And uh, that's a good book on church planting in terms of just seeing how God puts church plants together. You know, I think honestly, my in terms of wanting to grow in your entrepreneurial aptitude, I think probably my best advice is to get in a residency, uh, to get in an internship, to get around guys like you and I, Tony, that have planted churches and that are planting churches. Uh, to 
I mean, you know, honestly, the best thing I ever did before church planning was to be a youth pastor for eight years. Uh, you know, a lot of guys don't want to do that these days. They want to they want to get out of seminary and plant a church at 25 years old. And it feels to me like that's kind of like wanting to be a, a head college basketball coach and never have been been an assistant coach. And so when a guy just graduated from, and I know we all know a guy who's 25 or 26 years old that planted a church. So we all like the point of that guy and he was successful. But for every guy that was 25 that planted a church, there's a lot of other guys out there that didn't survive. And I'm a huge fan of go get some experience for five years and learn where you're gifted and develop that ability to gather people. I mean, I gathered kids and and adult volunteers before I ever planted a church. I showed over the course of years that God had wired me in this way. And mm-hmm. and, and so I think that's what I would say in terms of growing the, in this. Um, I, you know, I'm, I don't think that reading is going to help you a ton. I think hands-on experience in a local church. So if you're mm-hmm. where Tony Merida is, you know, go intern under that guy. If you're where Harvey Turner is in Burbank, California, or Ryan Kwan in Fremont, or Lubbock, Texas, where Dusty is, Dusty Thompson, you know, different leaders in Acts 29, I would say. Or, you know, I'm using U.S. examples here, but if you're listening to this outside of the U.S., the best, your best bet, I would say, is get in a local church plug into that local church, be mentored, get experience for years so that you can learn how God has wired you. Amen. Amen. Brian, always enjoy hanging out. Uh, You've given us much to think about. And uh, for that, I'm thankful. Thanks for uh, making time to be on the podcast today. Awesome. Great to be here with you, Tony. And I'm excited to see what God does in the future of Acts 29 as we press forward and continue to plant churches by God's grace.